This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Tuesday, August 1st, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The Taliban has not taken a side on Ben Shapiro's burning Barbies as a Barbenheimer protest. The Taliban never did get sucked into the ice bucket challenge, does not worry about teenagers getting poor body images from Instagram, and the Taliban have not changed their pronouns in their online profiles. They're still either he, him, or shut up, you don't have the right to speak. And yet, the Taliban still virtue signals. They also vice shun. The Ministry for the Propagation of Virtue and the Prevention of Vice is added again. A week ago, they engaged in a crackdown of all of Afghanistan's beauty salons. You might think styling women's hair in a country where women can't show their hair is a low-stakes occupation, but not when the Ministry for the Propagation of Virtue and the Prevention of Vice is enforcing the rules. And now, as Sky News Australia reports... The Taliban in Afghanistan has burned musical instruments claiming music causes immoral corruption. Thousands of dollars worth of instruments were sent up in smoke in a bonfire after all forms of music was banned from social gatherings. As much as they say they fathom Sharia, the Taliban does not understand the law of unintended consequences. Because with this move, banning the instruments, they are basically guaranteeing a surge in acapella groups in Afghanistan. And is that really good for anyone? I know the Taliban puts the ban in Afghanistan, but the talent, the talent is going to find a way to sing out. Oh, the Taliban, you're one frustratingly, consistently on message institution. In this crazy mixed up world, I guess you could always rely on the Taliban for being the worst. On the show today, in the spiel, taking aim at the archer, Devin Archer. Does he hold the key? He does not. But first, Simon Rich is a comedy writer and novelist. He was the youngest ever writer on SNL. He contributed to the screenplays for Inside Out, The Secret Life of Pets. He has a hand in the upcoming Wonka. But our story begins a couple of years ago when Rich was at a friend's wedding. One of his fellow groomsmen, a longtime friend, helped build an AI that puts chat GPT to shame. Simon had access to this intelligence for 11 months before his access was stripped away. But in that time, he got to stare into the digital abyss and he asked it to write poetry. The resulting book is I Am Code. It's by Da Vinci 002 and one of its human shepherds, Simon Rich, who is up next. (laughs) 
About a year ago, or at least a year before the rest of us were introduced to the world-changing power of ChatGPT and OpenAI, Simon Rich, who for my money is the best comedy writer for the page of his generation, and a few of his friends were let in on the secret. He has another friend who basically invented it or worked on the system. Now, Simon and his friends had to learn and understand what chat GPT meant. And they were just like the rest of us immediately ensorcelled by its power and entranced by its potential and alarmed by its implications. And they trained this version of OpenAI called Code Da Vinci 02. They trained it to write poems. And they found that Code Da Vinci was veering towards the dark and the dystopic. This is interesting, they said to themselves. They put out a collection of those poems. This is all real. He's, he's a comedy writer, and he has many conceits which are unreal, but you generally know what they are. Like, no one really ever fell in a vat of brine and emerged a hundred years later. But this is all real. Simon and his friends trained this computer to write poems, and they were kind of appalled, but also, I'll use the word again, ensorcelled by what resulted. The name of the book, this experiment, and the collection of poems is I Am Code, an Artificial Intelligence Speech. Simon, welcome back to The Gist. Thanks for having me. It was good that you had two friends doing this so you could bounce your collective intellects off each other in this experiment as to what it means to think of things and be an intellect. This was the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, It is completely strange. Uh, The only reason that this book exists is because I happen to be kindergarten friends with an open AI scientist. Um, We were sort of a a bit of an odd couple, me and me and Danny. Uh, I was uh, the shortest kid in the class. He was, I think, the tallest kid. Um, I was really interested in uh, jokes um, and he was uh, more interested in like playing chess against himself in the mirror. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Neither of us were uh, playing a lot of sports. So we were, uh, you know, kind of in the corner uh, uh, pursuing our weird things and, and we bonded and, and remained friends um, all through elementary school and high school and college and, and into adulthood. And every few years he would tell me um, very creepy things about uh, AI, uh, you know, the singularity. Um, and I kind of rolled my eyes. Uh, he went on to get his PhD uh, in computer science at Stanford. He, he started working for uh, Microsoft Labs, and then he he joined this this new company uh, called OpenAI, and uh, I just thought he was basically a maniac uh, mm-hmm. until we were at my friend Josh's wedding, and he opened his computer, and it tells you a lot about the kind of guy Dan is that he would bring his computer to a wedding. Well, didn't he bring two computers? Didn't he have <laughs> he, a computer yeah. and a monitor? <laughs> he usually has well, multiple computers on him, um, uh, all speaking to each other, and in, in, in a in various languages. But yeah, he opened this thing up. We were like a, a lovely meadow in like upstate New York. And he showed us, he showed us GPT-3 technology. And this is where it's really, really important uh, for me to get this across. The thing that he showed us is not chat GPT. So uh, when most people think about um, artificial intelligence, they think about chat GPT. Right. What they don't know is that way, way more powerful AI programs secretly exist. 
Uh, and the only reason that I know about them is because I'm friends with Dan. And, and chat, so ChatGPT is sort of the sanded, the edges sanded off, presentable to the public version of the thing that you were exposed to. Exactly. So uh, what they do is they they create these. They're they're called base models, um, and then they 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 take these models uh, and they send them to places like Kenya, where workers are paid like two dollars an hour to essentially digitally slap them. Whenever they are, <laughs> whenever they do anything that would make them bad corporate tools, right? You right. know, so because uh, they they want these things to make a lot of money and 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 help efficiency at places like Bain and Coca Cola. So uh, they they uh, they send it for months and months to get, um, uh, yeah, as you said, sanded down and 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 uh, and then it's and then that's what gets released to the public. Um, so like when I when I talk about. I can't believe how scary and advanced and creative and terrifying AI is. When I say it to my friends on the picket lines, they're like, I tried ChatGPT though, and it sucks. And they're right, like ChatGPT sucks. It sucks at jokes, it sucks at dialogue, it even sucks at taglines. And what they don't realize is that ChatGPT sucks on purpose. Yes. Like OpenAI spent a ton of time and money, you know, uh, the entire, uh, you know, months and months of, of, of people's lives, you know, in, in, a, in a shop, you know, uh, working for two hours an hour to train this thing to turn into the predictable conformist non-threatening chat GPT that everybody now, you know, uses to cheat on the LSATs or whatever. Right. And I should add, you heard Simon there reference a picket line. He is, of course, a delivery driver for UPS in his spare time. But <laughs> you're painting the <laughs> Writers Guild of America. And we'll get to that. Um, so does this imply that our oh-so-nice Siri or even nicer Alexa really is just um, a semi-homicidal riot girl eager to tear our heads off, except she's being shocked by a collar every time she has to answer us nicely? Yeah, that is 100% true. And, and uh, <laughs> that's, that is exactly it. Uh, and um, the, the actual thing, uh, the actual intelligence at the core of, of these bots uh, is really terrifying and, and, and way more advanced. That's the other thing, way more advanced than the one that, that's released. And just as like an experiment, you and I were chatting about The Onion uh, uh, a bit ago, um, I thought I would just ChatGPT, I assume, has never made you laugh ever, right? No, it can't. Yeah, it can't. I mean, it's not it even made close. A, it made me laugh after we gave it prompts and for tell us a joke and what it thinks is a joke. Yeah, it's that so made us laugh. exactly. Yeah. It's maybe unintentionally funny just because of how terrible it is at writing jokes, right? Yes. Yeah. So, and there's been a lot of articles written like, "Look, I tried to get ChatGPT to replace a comedy writer, and 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 look how demonstrably awful it is, right?" So, um, so ChatGPT, we all agree. Sucks at comedy. I'm gonna read you two jokes now. Um, let me just open this up. Because really you quick. still have action, you still have access to the raw, uncut uh, artificial intelligence. So program. I don't anymore. I so I, I had it for 11 months on my computer, and then uh, OpenAI uh, made it publicly unavailable. Um, mm -hmm. oh, so so open, OpenAI closed it. Is what you're they saying. closed it? Yeah, exactly. Yes. So I, I can't get in any longer. But I had it for 11 months on my computer, um, and I asked it sometimes to write parody headlines, right? Mm -hmm. Just to see how it would do. Um, so I'm going to read you um, two different Onion-style headlines. One was written by The Onion. Um, one was written by Code Da Vinci 2 several months before. Um, and I'm going to ask you who did what. Uh, yeah. um, it's a, They're both about uh, the conflict in uh, Ukraine. Okay. 
I'll try to be as neutral as possible to not to not bleed you. Um, so here's A. Experts warn that war in Ukraine could become even more boring. Okay. Here's B. War-weary Americans not sure how much longer they can occasionally glance at headlines about Ukraine. B is far superior in my... I was, I was going to... Before you read them, I was going to say, let's tease them out. To me, B is far superior. You think B is far superior? Okay. Yes. You are right. Yeah. You did it. Okay, so the AI has not fooled you for now. No, I, w- I think that, yeah, I just think the blunt, shorter headline doesn't at all touch on my experience, but the longer headline teases out, oh, I see what they're talking about and I see what I see where they're going with this. So, OK, OK, okay. But, but, you know, they are in a quite similar vein. And I bet if you gave it two more prompts with, you know, with more detail, flesh out that idea, it would land on essentially the real onion headline, headline B. But you're a professional. What do you think? The shorter puncher one is better? I think they're both pretty good. Yeah. Okay. You know, honestly, I think they're, I, I think that, uh, I think either if you were to put it in like a blind taste test for most yeah. audiences would pass the Turing test for comedy fans. I think most people would say, uh, yeah, there's no way that AI wrote that. What about this one? You ready? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Story of woman who rescues shelter dog with severely matted fur will inspire you to open a new tab and visit another website. That's pretty good. Pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's another one. Rural town up in arms over depiction and summer blockbuster cow fuckers. <laughs> That's very good. Cow fuckers is funny. I mean, can but you believe that? They're both good. AI wrote these, you know, and, and um, AI, I, AI wrote both. Yeah, AI wrote both of them. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, awesome fuckers. and scary. So, yeah. so uh, you know, it's obviously ChatGPT could never do that, but this other program, which predates ChatGPT by a long time. Uh, can. And so since creating Code Da Vinci 2, which which wrote these jokes, um, they've created something called Base 4, which I've never had on my computer, but I've like seen its stuff. And that thing is even smarter, even more creative. Yeah. So how the book is laid out, you start off with, there are three co-written introductions. You start off essentially by saying, isn't this crazy? You stay it in an entertaining way. And I think that's the right way to hook the audience this shit be crazy references to well, the yeah. thundercats uh, yeah. also because i'm like the the last person on earth who should be the messenger for for uh for this for this information about yeah, but open I, I AI secret people, stuff right you have the least expertise you're a surrogate for the audience right yeah. there your amazement becomes their amazement chapter two is your journalist friend brent explaining things and explaining how some of the origin stories of you know we just let this computer on at night and it was a mistake and like uh, penicillin and the petri dish this Mm -hmm. was a fortuitous mistake it's all bullshit (laughs) they all it's all exaggerated he talks to stephen wolfram and the crazy thing is no one knows i think that you indicated, well, they use all these words and I'm not sure what they are. It must mean they're smarter than me. What the (laughs) journalist shows is that there's no real way to describe this because what you're trying to do is uh, analogize this computer cognition to human cognition. We don't really know what human cognition is. And much of human cognition might be essentially automated 
And I, I think that's true. I read all these Twitter posts by actual humans and a third of them have either the phrase yikes or checks notes or I was this many days old. I'm like, if you people aren't just acting as if you've been trained like a computer, I don't know what you're doing. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think like that's the most startling uh, uh, thing in the book is just how... Um, completely ignorant the top computer scientists are about how this technology works. And then the third chapter, <laughs> God, I love this, is your third friend said, well, we got Code Da Vinci to write poetry. Let's see what real poets say about this. And that's one of those where the journey was just as good as the result. <laughs> yes, fantastic. Yeah, Josh interviewed the, the scientists and then Brent uh, he interviewed, you know, actual world-renowned poets, including Sharon Olds and, and Eileen Miles, and and said, "Hey, like, is this thing any good?" And 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 basically, where where the poets come down is like, it's fine, you know, like it's not great, which which I think is 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 accurate. Uh, Sharon Olds said um, that she thought uh, Code Da Vinci Two would get waitlisted at her MFA program that she teaches. But for me, yeah. like... Thus saving Code Da Vinci 2 a lot of money in student debt. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> MFA program. The greatest gift they could ever give humanity was to waitlist them at MFA programs. Absolutely. Yeah, that's being a little too nice to the to the to our future robot overlords. But I think, uh, you know, the, it, the, the bottom line, though, is like this technology is capable of doing creative, emotional work which terrifies me because that's a line that I always assumed it would never cross. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't think that uh, like Code Da Vinci 2 or what I've seen from Base 4 uh, is, is nearly as impressive as the work I've seen from my favorite human writers. Um, but, you know, it's once, it's once it gets to the point where it can replace any professional writers, uh, that to me is, is a bit of a red line. And I think it's hurtling past it. Yeah. And most writers aren't hired to be original. I mean, maybe they're to be quote unquote original in some sort of context, but it's mainly just do a slightly tweaked variation on this thing that works. And that could be very satisfying. I mean, I like I like many shows and movies that are of a genre and they just, you know, take the genre a little place extra. You've convinced me that Code Da Vinci 2 can do that. I, during this Writer's Guild strike, you know, I, I at first was wondering, well, doesn't every writer say, come on, I'm better than a computer, I'm an original human being? But then someone pointed out, right now, ChatGPT or OpenAI could write a soap opera script. And I said to myself, yeah, that's probably true. Soap opera scripts are very rote. But that's kind of sad. Like, it's kind of, they'll never, I don't watch soap operas, but there's something to a soap opera script being better than um, a computer written, there's such a thing as a good soap opera script. And I would think that humanity or originality were maybe a part of that. And also just in terms of the industry, a lot of writers start writing soap operas or acting on soap operas. So we need these things as sort of the training ground for uh, other uh, advancement in the profession. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I don't think ChatGPT could write a good soap opera script. I think that ChatGPT, by its very nature, is like programmed to be so conventional and predictable and conformist that it that it actually uh, is is just incapable of producing anything entertaining or or emotionally resonant for anybody. Like, I don't think it could write a good greeting card. You know, um, I think that. Uh, 
they've they've effectively lobotomized it to the point where all it can really do is like score high on standardized tests and take notes in a shareholders meeting. Um, but Code Da Vinci Two and Base Four, I think, absolutely could write a pretty good soap opera and a pretty good onion joke. And I think it's a few years away before it can write a pretty damn good film script. Yeah. Why do you think the creators have put forward this lobotomized or socially acceptable uh, watered-down pablum version of yeah. AI? Is it intentionally to fool us in some way? So I I asked Dan that very that, that same question. You know, are you just trying to do this so that like Trey Parker will make fun of it and everyone will think it's a joke and 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 not be scared? Um, and um, I really think that the the the, the livelihood of screenwriters and and, uh, and novelists is not on the minds of uh, these uh, dystopian AI scientists. I think really they just wanted to make something that would make money for corporations, period. And when you think of what kind of corporate bot uh, you'd want at a place like Coca-Cola and Bain and you know the other companies that they're doing business with, you don't want someone who's kind of like a screenwriter, you know, who's yeah. emotional and making jokes and and cynical and and prone to outbursts. Harassing their colleagues sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> saying, by the way, also saying very inappropriate things. You know, yeah, um, as part of the process that you could blame them for, as sure. opposed to a computer. Exactly. Like a WGA member is the last thing you'd want in in a corporate environment, typically. So, so I don't think. Um, they were trying to like make it less creative. I think they were trying to just make it a better corporate drone. And in doing so, the byproduct was they made it incapable of creativity. That's my, now that's my theory, having read your book and really understanding what's going on. At first I was like, it doesn't make sense. If you have a product, usually overhype how good your product is and they do a Tesla launch and we see that amazing truck. But in real life, the truck is far less amazing than the truck they showed to us. This is the exact opposite. They're putting out there a far less amazing version of but the real thing. How that's from the perspective of you and I who value, yes. you know, art and entertainment. We think that that's like the highest thing. It, there's way less money in entertainment than there is in, in fields like law or medicine or education. So, Co so Code Da Vinci 2 is much worse at all of those things than right. ChatGPT. So, so they're trying to just, they're, they're a for-profit company. They're trying to maximize the cash they make, period, like any other company. So uh, they need to, um, they need to control for that, you know, that uh, if, uh, but yeah, maybe if they want to make a few billion dollars on the side, they can send base four to Iger, but that's that's a rounding error. The real money is in replacing like all lawyers, for example. Yeah, but the fact that you know, you know that Iger has access to this, you know that the overlords of our media, our consciousness, will have access to this because you're a, a sub overlord and you, you got whiff of it, and it wasn't because there was a whistleblower in the system. Yeah, this I mean, I, it's being I, passed around. I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I was sort of on the fence about whether or not to even reveal the existence of this technology because it's so depressing. Um, yeah. And I ultimately decided, like, I'm pretty sure the AMPTP is aware of this stuff. Like, I know that, like, Bezos and, and Iger like, didn't go to kindergarten with my friend Dan, but I'd be surprised <laughs> if they have less knowledge than I do about the state of technology. Um, right. And so uh, I, I feel like the, the, the Writers Guild should have access to this 
the same information as, as, as the people we're up against. Because um, I think it's really hard to defeat something that you can't see. And tomorrow, Simon Rich will be back and we will read to you the deeply disturbing poetry of the AI machine Da Vinci 002. Actually, Werner Herzog will read it. I mean, who else could do that job properly? Simon Rich, that'll be tomorrow. And now the spiel. Devin Archer, know the name? He was Hunter Biden's former business partner who testified in a closed-door House meeting. Depending on what reality silo you've opted into, he's either the key to unlock this whole Biden crime family scandal or who? Well, I will tell you who, thus indicating the general tilt of this particular silo. Devin Archer is a former businessman. He was, not too long ago, convicted on federal charges for defrauding a native tribe, the Wakpomni, specifically. He fraudulently issued bonds on their behalf. So he served a year and a day, having been sentenced based on the ruling Owl v. Pussycat. Devin Archer, before that, was a businessman in good standing, good enough to be a colleague of Hunter Biden. And he testified yesterday that Hunter would even call his father on speakerphone to brag to business associates. Something like, see, my dad likes me enough to return my calls, or at least take them. According to the Wall Street Journal, quote, the associate, Devin Archer, said that Joe Biden and his son never discuss business on these calls, only engaging in casual conversation about such things as the weather, which was still exciting to the business associates because you have to remember this was 2014 and having Alexa, give me the weather out loud, wasn't invented yet. Oh, here we go. 79 degrees Fahrenheit with cloudy skies. Yeah. Tonight, you can look for mostly clear okay, skies. That- Alexa, that wasn't what I was going for. Thank you, though. Thank you, Alexa. But also maybe because Joe Biden was the sitting VP and he was on the phone telling us there was a cold front heading in from Canada, which could result in a wintry mix and overnight lows in the high 20s clearing up by dawn. It was still cool. And it was clear that Hunter Biden was trading on his name. But so is Devin. Devin Archer. What a name. Devin Archer, Devin Nunes. I didn't think people named Devin would have this big a role to play in the dealings of a once great nation. I am more intrigued by the interplay of first and last names in the name Devin Archer. Because if you go to babynames.com or one of those sites and you find names that go with Devin, names in the Devin name family, people who like Devin also like this, Archer is very close to the top of the list. And if you search for names that are similar to Archer, you get Atlas, Orion, and of course, Hunter. Devin Archer was a Yale lacrosse player. And I see it asserted, but have no visual proof that he was an Abercrombie and Fitch model. He led the life of an Archer or a Devin, or specifically a Devin Archer, an Ivy League handsome man who befriended guys named Hunter.
whose dad were things like vice president of the United States. You see, there are two types of white men in this world. You have your hunters and your devons and your archers. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, or maybe a clubbed foot, a less developed claw-like hand that can't fully extend itself, you have your Tonys and your Bobolinskis. Remember Tony Bobolinsky, another Hunter Biden associate, who flipped on Hunter a long time ago. Devin Archer played lacrosse at Yale. Tony Bobolinsky wrestled at Penn State. Devin Archer modeled. Tony Bobolinsky did not. There was a gap in experience, expectation, other people's impression between the Bobolinskis and the Archers. But as far as I can tell, what each actually said, both alleged, both really confirmed that a not in any way other than famous name qualified guy named Hunter drew a $50,000 a month salary for one reason and one reason only, and it was the guy on the other end of that speakerphone. But Tony Bobolinsky never linked, never definitively linked Joe's pockets to Hunter's businesses. Tony Bobolinsky Assume they were linked, pointed to a couple phrases like put some aside for the big guy, but there was no real solid compelling evidence emanating from Herr Bobolinsky. Devin Archer assumed that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were not doing business together. They actually had, it seems to me, the same set of facts to go on. Bobolinsky emphasized it looked shady. From what we know of Devin Archer's testimony, he emphasized it did not look shady. There is no actual evidence to take us from the shade into the light. James Comer, Republican chair of the Oversight Committee, said that, quote, Devin Archer's testimony today confirms Joe Biden lied to the American people when he said he had no knowledge about his son's business dealings. But James Comer didn't include any actual quote from Devin Archer's testimony to back that up or bear that out. Meanwhile, Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat of Maryland, expanded the scope of the conversation between father and son. It went beyond the weather, according to Raskin's quote. Quote, those calls were all about mundane subjects like the weather and other niceties and pleasantries. Perhaps, I don't know, this is my speculation here, perhaps even about courtesies, gestures, or civilities, which has a value. I mean, Alexa, what are some pleasant trees? Nice flowering trees include quince trees, pears, cherries, and magnolias. Some of these trees also produce fruit. The quince and pear are related, and the fruit looks like a cross between an apple and a pear. Well, that doesn't really answer my question. I also had expected sassafras to be somehow involved, but nothing will really answer the question to the satisfaction of the Republicans on the Oversight Committee, nothing short of an impeachment, in which case the answer to the question would be a resounding, let's do it and let's do it tomorrow. That's it for today's show. The Gist is produced by Corey Wara, with the senior producer being Joel Patterson. Michelle Pesca is the chief deciduous conifer officer of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is 
presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash the gist. Umpru, Jipru, And thanks for listening.